Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've joined us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your hearts and minds as we enter God's Word. Well, uh, it's kind of like uh, being in the sanctuary. Nobody sits in the front row. Uh, so, so that was interesting. A quick update on what's going on. Uh, as you saw, the retaining wall uh, is being put into the new parking lot, and that's going to enable the rest of the work to get going. Uh, the front lot, the main lot, will be totally milled, paved, and uh, so redone this week. So there'll be different closures during the week of the upper lot, and uh, that will be done by the end of the week. The new lighting is already going in. In the sanctuary on Wednesday night, as was said in the announcements, uh, it's 7.15 on Wednesday night. We're going to have a special time where you can write prayers, scriptures, your thoughts on the sanctuary floor uh, as we look forward to the renovation of the sanctuary as well. So things moving along well, and we hope uh, everything will be done by the uh, first, second week of December at the latest. So that's kind of uh, an update on what is going on there. Hey, take out your Bibles. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5. We've been talking about daring faith, and we're going to talk about daring to live today. Now, most of Paul's writings take on a general format, the same format. Starts generally with a welcome to the churches. Uh, then he addresses either a problem the church is having, or he talks about what we think of just as general theology. Then when he gets to the end of the book, like we're doing here in Ephesians, he gives some very practical how-tos when it comes to how to live your life according to what he's just talked about in the earlier chapters. And so we're going to look over into Ephesians chapter 5, and let's see what Paul has to say about living a life for Christ each and every day. And the first thing we see is this. Be imitators of God by living a life of love. Be imitators of God by living a life of love. Look down to chapter 5, verse 1. Be imitators of God. Now, that, you all know that I have theological degrees, right? That's how I was able to figure that one out uh, right there. You know. So be an imitator of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, live a life of love just as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So he says, okay, you need to imitate God. Now, probably the first thing that goes through your mind is, how can I imitate God? Am I supposed to take on all power and create the world out of nothing? How can I imitate uh, the, the sovereign Lord of the universe? Well, he tells us we imitate God, he says, by living a life of love. So that's an entirely different thing. If you want to know what it means to truly be a Christian, your Christianity is more going to be seen in the way you live your life than in what you say you believe. You can have a big bumper sticker on your car, wear a big necklace, have a t-shirt. You can come to church with a big Bible. But the way people are more than any other way going to judge your Christianity and your faith is the way you live each and every day. Imitate Christ by living a life of love. Now, how do we know what that life of love is that he's talking about here? He tells us again. He says, be imitator of God as dearly loved children. So you know what it is to see the love of God in practice because it's happened to you. So if you want to know what you are supposed to do in your life, then you ask the question, what has God done for me? How has God loved me? And again, he answers that in verse 2. Live a life of love as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
So how has Christ loved you? One thing he says is that he sacrificed for you, that he died upon the cross, gave his life for you, that you might be forgiven of your sins. So what does it mean to live a life of love? It means you sacrifice yourself for the good and the well-being of others. Now, that's not something we do very well, because most of us, the first thing we think about in this world is ourselves. We're consumed with self. And so to be an imitator of God, we have to stop being consumed with ourself and start being consumed with God, the things of God, and with other people to sacrifice as he did for us. How else has Christ loved you? Well, how about he forgave you when you didn't deserve it? So do we need to forgive other people when they don't deserve it? That's always something that sticks in the craw of a lot of Christians. Why should I forgive them? They haven't asked to be forgiven and they don't deserve it. Well, guess what? Jesus died on the cross when you didn't ask to be forgiven and when you didn't deserve it. So if you want to imitate God, you forgive even when people don't deserve it. Well, how else has Christ loved you? Well, he's, he's encouraged you when you were down. Do we need to encourage others when they're down? He's, uh, he's, he's uh, been patient with you. He's given you second, third, fourth, fifth, 150 chances. Do we need to encourage people, be patient with people, give people other chances? We need to live a life of love by being imitators of God. Now, basically, that's not only the foundation, that's everything that I wanted to say this morning. Now, you could leave now, but I don't want to cheat you on time, so we're going we're gonna to keep going on here. But the basic premise is that. Live a life of love. Imitate God the way he's loved you. You love other people in this world. Think of the difference it would make in the world if every Christian just went out and said, I'm going to try to be loving, caring, forgiving, patient, kind when I encounter other people in this world. Think of the difference it would make in our world. Manny Pacquiao is one of the greatest uh, boxers in the world. He recently uh, lost a big bout to Floyd Mayweather, but made multi-millions of dollars. Now, you may wonder, what would somebody do after they've lost a fight but made a lot of money? Go buy a big car or a big house or something like that. What Manny Pacquiao did with his money was he went back to the Philippines where he's from. He just finished building 1,000 homes for the poor and needy in the area of the Philippines in which he lived. Took all of his money, built 1,000 homes. And when he asked why he did it, he said very simply, God has loved me and cared for me, and I simply want to love and care for other people. That's living a life of love because of what God has done for you. So be imitators of God by living a life of love. Now, the next thing we're going to talk about, the first one sounds good. It's not easy to do, but it sounds good. Everybody likes it. We'd all vote for it at the business meeting or whatever. The next one we don't like as well, and that's this. Raise your personal morals and stop living a sinful life. Raise your personal morals and stop living a sinful life. The truth is nothing will ruin your Christian witness more than the way that you live your life. If you say one thing and live another, then everybody's going to say those Christians, they're all a bunch of hypocrites. And so we have to start looking at how we're living and what is the example of the life we're living to other people. Now, what Paul does in our scripture here in verses three through six is that he gives a whole litany of sin. He kind of throws the kitchen sink at you. I'm going to read those quickly because I want to get to what he says in verse seven. But among you, there must not be a hint of sexual immorality, any kind of impurity, greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. 
For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such as a man who is an adulterer, has any inheritance of the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. So he gives this whole litany of sins here. Now, you may have heard one of those sins and say, oops, that's a sin I have in my life. Does that mean God's wrath's coming on me and, and I have no hope here? I want to read you now verse 7 to kind of put all this into context. Therefore, do not be partners with them. The simple fact of the matter is every person in this room is a sinner. Everybody in this room messes up at one time or another. No matter what you do, you're going to mess up. There will be times you will live inconsistently to what you say. The point isn't whether or not you mess up. As a matter of fact, the world needs to know that sometimes we mess up. If what the world sees of Christians is they're a bunch of perfect people with no problems who never do anything wrong, then as soon as they're around a Christian, they're going to find it's not true. And they're going to say they're a bunch of hypocrites. So don't come off like you never have a problem or you never messed up because we all do. But what verse 7 says is you shouldn't partner with these things. It's one thing to mess up occasionally. It's one thing to, to at times be inconsistent in your walk. But are you partnering with these things? Are these things a pattern of your life and a lifestyle that you have? Or is it something that occasionally overcomes you? Because we're all occasionally overcome, but some of us partner with our sin. Our sin becomes a part of our lifestyle. It just becomes a part of who we do. That person's going to gossip about anything they hear. It's not just occasionally they do it and then kick themselves and say, man, I, I shouldn't have done that. We know they're a gossip. That person's greedy. They are greedy no matter what. They're always going to be greedy. It doesn't just overtake them sometimes. So the question becomes, are you partnering with sin or does it occasionally overcome you? If there is sin in your life that you are partnering with, then you need to be doing something about it. Because it is hurting your witness and it is driving people away from the gospel of Christ. We need to be people who live with strong morals and, and, uh, and, and begin to take seriously the things that are going on in our life. So the first thing we're told is to, uh, is to uh, live a life of love. And the second we're told is to stop sinning and live a life that people are going to see is different. Do people see something different in and about you? Several years ago, at a different church than this one, I went to see uh, the chairman of the deacons at our church and to have lunch with him. And uh, he, was, he worked on a construction site. I went into the site and uh, went into the little trailer office there. And I said, hey, I'm looking for, we'll say John Doe. I'm looking for John Doe. And they said, oh, sure, well, what's going on? I said, well, I'm going to have lunch with him today. He's chairman of the deacons at my church. Well, the whole room erupts in laughing. And they said, he's chairman of the deacons. And then the whole room starts laughing again. And then somebody opened the door and they said, tell you what, pastor, go walking that direction. And when you get past the cussing and you start hearing words you've never heard before, that's when you found your chairman of the deacons. And I said, okay, well, thank, thank you there. That'll be easy to find. I appreciate you pointing the way there. Is your lifestyle bringing people towards God or is it driving people away from God? Now, the last thing we're going to look at, who, who, who liked that? <laughs> now, the last thing we're going to look at has five points, okay? So the last thing we're going to look at, it actually does, is this. It's time to get serious and to start living wisely. It's time to get serious and to start living wisely. Look at verse 14. 
For it is light that makes everything visible. That's why it said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. So Paul says, look, there's a whole group of Christians who are basically sleepwalking through this world. You're not taking life seriously. You're not seeing the big picture of life. You're not living a lifestyle that makes a difference. It's time to wake up and realize this is serious business. It's time to realize that the world needs you, that that God has called you to make a difference, and that the contacts that you have need you in your life. Probably most people here have seen the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. And everybody knows what it's about. You know, Peter Bailey uh, thinks his life doesn't matter. It's all been a joke. He just wants to get it over with. And then he finds out he really did have a wonderful life and it touched so many people. And what you need to realize is you have been strategically placed in your, in your connections to make a difference. Your family needs you to live godly. Whether you are a mother, a father, a a child, whatever you may be, your family needs you to live godly. And for some families, you're going to be the only witness of Christ they've ever had. And they don't need you walking around beating them over with a Bible and telling them how bad they are. They need to see something different about your life. That you're the one that's not talking about other people at the family gatherings. That you're the one that's trying to be helpful and caring and reaching out. Your family desperately needs you to live at a different level. Your friends need that. Again, for some of you, uh, you're going to be the only person some of your friends will ever know that's a Christian at all. They need that. Your coworkers. Do you come home and say, man, everybody at work is a bunch of sinful reprobates and I, you know, I, I just don't want to be around them. Do you come home and, and say, hey, I found one other Christian and we hide over here in the corner from all the bad people. You know, or are you trying to make a difference in your workplace? Do you work hard? Are, are, do you, are you honest and fair? Do you not talk about your boss and other people? Are you making a difference in your workplace? Instead of coming home and grumbling and complaining about it, how about coming home and saying, God has strategically placed me in this job at this time, however long I may be there until I can find something else, to, so that I can make a difference. It's literally true. God gives us divine encounters all the time, and he's wanting us to take advantage of those. It's time to get serious, to live with purpose. And with that in mind, when he talks about living wisely, he talks about five things we need to do to live wisely. And we're going to look at those real quickly. The five things we need to do, just one after another. Verse 16, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The first thing we need to do, make the most of every opportunity. You will have opportunities every single day of your life to make a difference. Whether it's at home, work, with your friends, just a casual encounter at a restaurant with a waiter or a waitress. You will have opportunities to make a difference. Take advantage of those opportunities. Now, to do that, you've got to be aware of them. You've got to go in and live wisely, not unwisely. And so you have to go in and say, I am literally looking for opportunity in my life today when the people I encounter... What if every time you talk to somebody, you were looking for opportunity to make a difference for the kingdom of God and to help that person that you were talking to? It would transform it. If everybody in this room went out and lived that way this week, I'm going to look for every divine encounter and every opportunity. What a difference it would make in the city of Louisville. And that's what we're called to do. When Don and I were driving uh, Andrew out to California when he moved, (laughs) anyway, it's, it's been two months, and our house has been clean for two months. But, I mean, that's, 
But, but anyway, we stopped in Flagstaff, Arizona, and we were at, at a, 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 some kind of health food restaurant that Donna takes. But anyway, uh, you know, so, so you ordered and, and, you know, you got your food. Well, the guy was really grumpy. He was being rude to everybody, you know, and everything. And so I thought, I'm going to kill this guy with some Chip Pendleton kindness, you know. And then I said, hey, man, how's it going? And he goes, eh, what do you want to eat? You know, you know? And I said, so how's your day been? And he goes, eh. and so we started. And then finally he says, it's been a terrible day. My car broke down. Uh, couldn't get it started. When they finally got it started, I had a flat tire after that. And uh, he said, I just called AAA. I had to call him again. Finally get to work. My boss yells at me for being late. And he said, it's been a terrible day. And so I said, man, I'm really sorry, you know, all this kind of stuff. You know, I'll, I'll say a prayer for you. I was trying to encourage him and some stuff. And so we just started kind of chit-chatting. Well, Dawn comes back up. She'd already sat down and said, Chip, I've changed my mind. Get me a drink. And he takes out a cup and he says, ma'am, you can have the drink for free. And hands her the cup. And I said, that was all because of me. <laughs> 99 cents was saved because I was being nice. right? Here. That's a very, very small thing. But what if you were aware of people around you when they were having a bad day? What if you really looked for opportunities to make a difference? We're told make the most of every opportunity if you're going to live wisely. Second thing we're told is stop living foolishly. Stop living foolishly. Look at verse 17. Verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Very simple. Are you living life with purpose and intentionality for God? Or are you just trying to exist and get through the day? If you're living with purpose, I'm seeking God's will. I'm trying to make a difference in the way that I live. Then you're going to find opportunities to do that. If you're living foolishly, then you take no thought to the big picture. You take no thought to what is God calling me to do. You're not looking at the people that you're encountering or caring about what's going on in their life. You're just trying to get your lunch and get back to work because your whole world is wrapped up in you. And all you can see is yourself. And so we have to break that pattern of only seeing ourselves, start seeing other people, stop living foolishly, and start living with purpose and intent in God's will. Number three, be filled with the Spirit of God. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Look at verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, the greater point of this verse is you are going to be filled with something in life. Okay? Now, if somebody gets filled with alcohol and gets drunk, they do not behave normally. Has anybody here ever seen someone when they were drunk? It's, it's okay. Anybody here ever been to college? Anybody here ever seen someone when they were drunk? Thank you. Anybody here ever been drunk? No, don't, don't. We won't, we won't do that. What happens when someone gets drunk? You know, I've had friends who were mean drunks. I've had friends who were mellow drunks. I had friends who were happy drunks. But one thing was sure, they weren't acting normally. Okay? They were filled with something. Whenever you're filled with anything except the Spirit of God, it is going to have adverse effects upon your life. If you're filled with your job and that becomes your priority, if you're filled with, with possessions and, and, and all you can think about is your possessions or your money or, 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 or yourself, whatever you fill yourself with besides God is going to have adverse effects upon your life. We're told to fill ourselves with the spirit of God. Let God come out of us in the way that we live. 
Now, that may be a hard thing to quantify. You might not be able to sit down and explain that. But let me tell you, if you see somebody in this world living by the Spirit of God, you know it as soon as you see it. And so we're told what so far? To, uh, to make the most of every opportunity, to stop living foolishly, but to live with purpose, and to be filled with the Spirit of God. Number four, number four, praise and thank God for everything. Praise and thank God for everything. Look at verse 20. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of people find that an unusual verse. Why would I praise God for everything? So I walk and I hit my head on the door when I'm walking out. I praise God for that. No, it's an understanding that God is involved and cares in all of your life. Remember the 23rd Psalm? Uh, Very simple. Uh, uh, It says that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you're with me. So it doesn't mean there's no dark valleys. It doesn't mean that it doesn't feel like it's killing you. It means no matter what's going on in your life, God is there. He cares for you. He loves you. This is all about attitude. The attitude you have makes all the difference in the world. If you get up with a negative attitude, it's a terrible day. Everything's going to go wrong. It's going to be bad today. I'm dreading everything that happens. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you get up with praise to God and thankfulness to God and live with that positive attitude, it makes a difference. You know when people are constantly negative and when people are constantly positive. They, see, they say you need at least one positive person in your life for every three or four negative people uh, in your life to just kind of balance it out and to give you some hope. We need to be those positive people thanking and praising God. And then finally... We're told in verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we need to submit to one another. Now, the word submission doesn't carry with it real good connotations. I look out and I see that most of you are probably big UFC fight fans, right? I could tell that. And uh, uh, in, in UFC fighting, you get somebody in a chokehold and you got them down and they tap out. It's called a submission. So we think of submission as being when somebody's got you in a chokehold and you're about to give up or something. That doesn't have a good connotation to it. But what this is trying to say is you have to think beyond yourself because you're okay. You don't have to center on yourself anymore. You are loved. You're forgiven. You're saved. God's spirit is with you. You're going to heaven when you die. You have God's presence with you now. You don't have to worry about yourself any longer. Your world can get bigger. So you begin to worry about other people instead of just yourself. You begin to look at a broader picture of the world that goes beyond just one or two or three that encompasses everyone about you. Submitting to one another just means taking your eyes off of yourself and start to care and love other people. Right back where we started at the beginning. So what is all this about is that you need to make the choice that your faith will be seen in the way you live your life. Each and every day, God's going to provide you opportunities and divine encounters to make a difference. Live a life of love. Love people the way God loved you. A few months ago, uh, my daughter also moved to California. It's okay. So we went out to see her, and she said, Mom and Dad, we've wanted to go to the San Diego Zoo since we've moved here. We we can't wait to go to the San Diego Zoo, but it's really expensive, so we waited for you all to come. Okay, we got, you know, we got that. 
So we take them to the San Diego Zoo. Very, very neat zoo, you know. Uh, we're, we're going through the zoo, and we pass this tiger exhibit. And one of the zookeepers there was, was out, and she was talking, and she said, if you notice, there is a dog in the cage with the tiger. And we thought, whoa, you think a tiger would eat that dog in a heartbeat? Uh, there's, you know, a little dog and this, this huge tiger that's there. And she goes, they were placed together when they were both born as infants, and they've grown up together since they were little babies. And we do it for a reason. The dog makes the tiger have a better nature. The tiger isn't going to bleed over on the dog where the dog is no longer friendly or wags its tail or wants to run around and play. The dog, in other words, makes the difference on the tiger. The tiger becomes much less aggressive, much more playful, much more willing to to be calm when a trainer comes into the cage or something like that. All because of the influence of that little dog that's there. And while we were there, the tiger was just lying down, minding its own business. And this stupid dog would jump on its back and bite him in the ear. And the tiger would just kind of swap with an arm or something like that. And, and all this going on because they've been raised together and they think they're brother and sister. Here's the truth of the matter. You're God's puppy dog. And God has placed you in this world to make a difference. You know, we were told when it said, make the most of every opportunity, that verse ends with make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. It's a tough world out there. There's not a lot of love and care and patience and forgiveness. All the world sees is just the opposite. The days are evil, my friends. And you've been there strategically by God to make a difference in a world. Because you're there, the world is supposed to have hope and and see a different way of living and find patience and care, all because you're simply in it. It's one of the greatest gifts God has ever given us that your life can have a profound impact if we would just dare to live. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you that you have loved us with an unbelievable love. Help us to show that same love to others. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keyword, MyWRBC. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for another message from God's Word. Thank you.